there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, it's that time of the week again. Advanced medicine. And Dr. Bachar, I've got a scratchy throat. I've been out on the road, and I'm not used to that. I went out uh, to Utah, and I got up in the ski slopes. And I didn't ski because I haven't done that since I was in high school. But I, I j- jumped on those uh, inner tubes and s- kind of slid, slid down the hill. And uh, it was great fun, great fun. But I think I just need a little bit more rest coming off the trip. It sounds like you need a lot of rest from recuperating from, from having an enjoyable weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Super Don was getting on me because he saw somebody, uh, one of the people we were with, Don, she, she uh, took a video of us sliding down the hill together, and I was, like, screaming like a little kid, yee-haw, wee, something like that. Super D, was it really that embarrassing? Uh, it was cute. Let's it put cute. it that way. Okay. All yes. right. I'll take cute. So you basically, you basically needed a vacation from your vacation. Is that what you're saying? A little bit. I, it was really only a day. I mean, it was that day that, uh, you know, the, my day off, my one day off. And we actually went up yeah. into the mountains to Park City where the Sundance Film Festival was happening. We didn't see any films. I could care less about that. We got it. We found an awesome organic restaurant where you could be vegetarian. You could be a meat eater. It was just great quality. You get to choose what you wanted, mix and match. And we had a really delicious kombucha that this one had. Uh, I was lavender and something else. It was re- I was just like everything about that day was great. And then. At the evening, our friend Dawn, who we met at a naturopathy conference, she's a naturopath and a flight attendant, and she invited us back and, 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 and made dinner. Like we had omelets for dinner and home fries for dinner before we caught a red-eye flight back, Paul and I, my buddy. And it was just a great day. I, I didn't say thank you on the air to Dawn, and I appreciate all of your hospitality. You made a very special day happen in Park City where we got to be silly like kids and, and play and, and, and eat well as well. And now I need to rest from it. Well, that's good. At least you know. At least you recognize that you need rest from your enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm doing uh, a, a little extra silver, a little extra selenium. I've got some uh, elderberry, you know, and I feel physically fine. It's just like I feel like that scratchiness in the throat, where you're just like, ah, man, I just gotta take it a little easier right now. I'll recover fast. That's good. That's very good. Or it could be the Zika I mean, virus. I don't know. It could be the Zika virus. You know, this is also brings up the thing with the. Huge um, uh, incidence of flu this year, and how it's it's rampant, and everybody's talking about the um, need to prophylactically now use more flu vaccines, as if not understanding the fact that all already the unbelievable use of flu vaccines has already shown that it's not effective in preventing the flu, because statistically. I think you quoted it as saying 15%, only 15% effective, and that's probably... At best. Uh, it, that's not even close, Robert. It's probably more like 1% incidence right. uh, of effectiveness because, again, it's in a mathematical algorithm that they're applying. It's a computer-generated model that they're trying to predict which of the 5,000 known and, I don't know, another five, ten thousand 10,000 unknown viruses maybe out there that could be causing it this particular season. Uh, it's never been effective. We know that people get the flu vaccine every year and still get the flu. 
and more people get the flu when they've had the flu vaccine than people that don't get it. I mean, from my experience, at least when you poll people, you ask them to raise their hands when you're giving a lecture. How many mm-hmm. people got the flu this year? And people raise their hand. How many of those people, you know, got the flu vaccine? Almost all of them raise their hand. So, you know, it, now they're talking about with this. You, you mentioned the Zika virus, but just the mm-hmm. flu itself. This year is supposedly way, way worse than it has been. I know that um, pretty much everyone that I'm meeting has been under the weather, whether it's actual flu or a common cold, but it has been very rampant this year. That's and an important think- point to make, Dr. Bittar, too, because there, uh, see another CDC uh, uh, stat that uh, Peter Doshi, who's written out of Johns Hopkins now, a number of peer-reviewed articles on the flu shot, the scam, and the promotion and marketing of it by CDC, uh, say that uh, at best... On an average year where they say X number of people have the flu, whether it's a claimed million, whether it's 100,000, whatever it is, the real number may be 10 or 15% of that. Because the vast majority of so-called illnesses and ailments during this season have nothing to do with influenza viruses at all. But not, not right. even that they screw up on the right selection for the flu shot, but it might not even be. So we're talking 85, 90% of all flu is not really flu. So what are they telling you you have to get? The flu shot. Why? It's the best we got. And if that's the best you got... No wonder why people are running from doctors. Yeah, exactly. I think that the important thing to remember is that this is a preventive um, self-limiting condition. Self-limiting meaning that it'll run its course and preventable in the sense that how is it transmitted? It's transmitted when people are sneezing and the the sneeze, you know, people think this is um, spread through the air. It's not spread through the air. In fact, tuberculosis and Ebola, and I think there's one other thing that actually gets spread through the air. Everything else is through contact. So when somebody sneezes, let's say you sneeze on a book or on a door, or you sneeze and you put your hand up to your, your face, and then you touch a doorknob, and somebody else touches a doorknob that picks up a piece of food and eats it, that's how it spreads. So the most important thing to do to prevent flu or the common cold or any type of upper respiratory infection is wash your hands with soap and water. That's the easiest thing, the most preventable thing. Keep your fingers out of your mouth. If you are going to um, be in a public environment, make sure that you're very conscientious that you don't pick up something in your hand without washing it and then put it in your mouth, meaning don't, don't, wa- don't forget to wash your hand. If you forget to wash your hand and pick up something and you eat it, that, that transmission of mm-hmm. whatever's on that piece of food, you know, it doesn't even have to be that it was on the food. It could have been on your own hand, and then when your hand picked up the food, and then you transmitted it to your, into your system. And so just Washing your hands is the, the most important thing. And then, you know, we've talked about this on the air before. Uh, I think the best combination is, uh, you know, we have this, the CBNS protocol, but a couple of different herbs and silver, and pretty much you'll never have to worry about getting a cold or right. the flu or any type of upper respiratory infection for that matter. Well, you know what's being revealed this season, and I've seen it in some of the news reports. Super D, correct me if I'm wrong, I've been hearing now that they're saying they're finding people who got the flu shot not only getting the flu, but they're getting it worse. In other words, it's, it's making them more vulnerable for a more severe manifestation of influenza. Am, am I reading that right, Super D? Yeah, we did cover that story. So it's yeah, not... This, is, this, yeah. this isn't a new thing, though, Robert. Remember, we talked about H1N1. Um, all the deaths that were reported from the H1N1 in the Los Angeles Times reported the story, and they were outraged that there were 62 cases of people that had died from H1N1, and they were outraged why these deaths hadn't been reported. Then all of a sudden, the story went totally dead. That's because they found that all 63 people that had reportedly died of H1N1 had all been vaccinated for H1N1. And so many of these, you know, if you want to call them conspiracy theorists, uh, I don't 
believe in that term personally. I think these are this realists. These are mm-hmm. people that are observational realists. Um, when they talk about some of these vaccines um, creating more problems than they solve, I believe that to be a truism. You have all these adjuvants that are added. You, you've got all these metals and toxic substances and uh, various um, tissue lines from mutated human cell lines and uh, other species of animals that are added into these various vaccines, and they're all designed to elicit a certain response. But then you start looking at the onslaught that the immune system has to deal with, and how can it be good to have all these different things added into the body, and and then making it more susceptible to things like mm-hmm. formaldehyde and things like aluminum and nickel and, and thimerosal, of course, mercury, which is the second most toxic substance known to man, a very, very severe uh, immunosuppressant. So you've got all these things that are being added into these vaccines, and it's not a it's not a leap at all. In fact, it's just a, the next step to extrapolate that this is not going to be good for the for the body. And I think I think one of the um, stu- one of the uh, articles that you wanted to talk about too talked about that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That about the flu shot being um, uh, linked to heart disease or heart. Well, here, yeah, here's how this goes. This is great. The American Heart Association doing the bidding for the Centers for Disease Creation and Promotion, the CDC. Uh, they're saying that it now is, you know, it's in gold somehow. They figured this out that the flu virus is definitely accelerating or or causing some way heart attacks, right? So their conclusion at the end of the article, we can go through it if you want, but the conclusion at the end of the article, so your best way to prevent heart attacks is a flu shot. This is the American Heart Association making a claim. What? Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. you got to read this. You'll be like, dude, why does anybody give money or pay attention to the American Heart Association? They still think cholesterol causes heart disease. And basically they're saying about a week after the flu, they're, they're, there's a higher incidence of heart attack. But isn't that easy, easily explained by the, you know, the immune response if somebody is sick from any, for any reason? That you, if you're vulnerable, susceptible, there could be more pro-inflammatory compounds, cytokines floating around your system because you've had to overcome a challenge. And if you were at risk already, it could temporarily increase the risk. But that's not a reason to get a flu shot. Yeah, this is, this is amazing. I'm just reading some of the lines from this. This is an impressive finding and an important reminder that the flu is not benign, said Dr. Vincent Buffalino, and then goes on to say that uh, some, let's see, well, the bottom line is, wait a second, study didn't offer reasons why the flu might trigger heart attacks, and then two paragraphs later, it's that, three paragraphs later, it says the bottom line is if you want to reduce your chances of having a heart attack, it's a good idea to get a flu shot. So three paragraphs apart, the study didn't offer reasons why the flu tri- why the flu shot. But they just know it. They just, they just know that it is. And you just pay attention to us because we're the American Heart Association. Yeah. So, so are they trying to say that it's the flu that triggers the heart attack or the flu the, shot? The flu virus. The flu virus. That's the what their claim is. With no evidence right. whatsoever except a correlation that after the flu, maybe it's the flu. I don't even. I don't even give them that because we're finding out, as I said. 85% or more of the cases of flu are not really flu. There's no evidence of a flu virus anywhere in their system. So yeah. if yeah. this is true... So this is a propaganda piece. It is. It's a total propaganda piece, as is anything the American Heart Association puts out about cholesterol or now flu shot promotion. Of course, if there's mercury in them, there are shots. Could that have a negative impact on the cardiovascular system, the heart? Of course it can. And In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine published 
uh, a study back in 2004, I believe it was, where they showed a direct correlation between um, decosahexaenoic acid, DHA, fatty acids, uh, and uh, inverse correlation with toenail clipping levels of mercury, meaning that if you had low DHA and high mercury levels, there was an increased chance of heart attacks by I don't know how many folds, but that was a study that was published right. in the New England Journal of Medicine, clear correlation. So follow the American Heart Association's advice at your own heart's risk. They are promoting an agenda that will increase damage to the heart because of the mercury in the injections that they say will prevent the heart attack or the flu from happening, even though it doesn't, from the virus that isn't causing the heart attack. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. All right, we were just having a discussion on the break about foamy urine. One of our uh, YouTube watchers asked a question about that. We may get to that later, but one of the listeners or watchers on YouTube is a smart aleck and said, stop eating Tide Pods because, of course, it's a, it's a detergent. You're going to have foamy urine. So, Dr. Batar, you don't need to know about this, but apparently it's all the rage. The crazy kids on, on uh, social media trying to outdo each other are grabbing these little uh, plastic-coated detergents that look like some kind of hostess uh, I don't know, treat that's not anywhere of this earth, but people grow up on them, they think it's food, and they're like doing a challenge to eat these things, and some people are getting very sick, some are dying. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. It's like, and that's where the Darwin Awards are given. I'm not a big Darwinian kind of guy, but that's where people are taking themselves out of the food chain uh, by mm. eating stupid stuff like that. Well, okay, so now I got it, because I didn't know yeah. what that meant when you guys said that. Now I got it. Okay. I know. The last thing of the news. Yeah, Doctor yeah. Batar not eating detergent. All right, not so, eating detergent. So that would be that would be a good uh, diagnosis, actually. Yes, that could be. You know, stop eating that. that Your would, urine that is foamy. Everything's foamy. Stop eating soap. All right, yeah. the New England Journal of Medicine. We've talked a little bit about that. We talked about the American Heart Association promoting flu flu vaccines, and I brought up the issue of mercury and flu shots, which still exists. And you want to reference a journal, uh, American Journal of Cardiology. What 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 yeah. is the relationship that the AHA doesn't seem to know about? Well, the American Heart Association should know about this because the American Journal of Cardiology in 1999 published a study um, depicting a direct correlation between um, the. It, it was basically looking at idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy, which essentially affects younger people. You know, when you hear about the football player that die suddenly in the football field. Um, it's a form of it's a type of a congestive heart failure, but it affects the younger patient population. And what they did was they uh, did biopsies of the myocardium, of the heart tissue, and they found 22,000 times the normal level of mercury found within the myocardium in these patients that died uh, of uh, idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy when they did the biopsy on the myocardium compared to the normal tissue levels of mercury. And they also found, I think, 12,000 times the level of nickel that was found compared to the normal tissue levels of nickel in the rest of the body. So there's a direct correlation with mercury and causing cardiac anomalies such as idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy and, of course, heart attack is important in the New England Journal of Medicine. And so for them to be talking about the flu shot, for the American Heart Association to be talking about the flu shot as a preventive for heart attack without any correlation of scientific data, without looking at the ingredients of what 
the, the normal constituents within all vaccines, such as thimerosal, et cetera, and looking mm-hmm. at the direct impact that those things would have on eliciting a heart attack, I think it's very ir- irresponsible. So you, you ask, I would say, well, who's being scientific in this case, right? The, the, the AHA would say, anybody who doesn't agree with us on cholesterol causing heart disease or that we need a vaccine for flu to protect the heart, you know, they are so patently unscientific in their pronouncements in this way. They're making leaps that are not substantiated in any way, shape, or form, which leads us uh, to a discussion of the Zika virus. We don't have to go there yet, but uh, there's another one of those leaps that they're making. But I find it very interesting that in these journal articles that you're referencing, you're actually establishing a direct link that is validated, has not been disproven, and they're making just obtuse claims based on, I don't even call them theories at this point about influenza viruses. Yeah, exactly. I would agree with you. And and I think that when you start looking at some of the, again, this could be correlated as um, what we just talked about the piece before, a propaganda piece. You know, it's a, it's a way for them to promote their agenda, whatever that agenda might be. Well, what is that agenda? Indeed, it's, it's illness. Uh, you know, the whole idea is in allopathic medicine, and again, I'm not indicting every doctor, but if the doctors are promoting stupid stuff like vaccines, uh, particularly the flu shot, as our discussion is right now today, and if they're actually to say, hey, I read the AHA claimed that this will prevent your heart attack, right, so the cardiologists start promoting it, I'm like, you might be smart in terms of book smarts. You were able to get through med school. You learned a lot of uh, stuff, and you could regurgitate it. Man, when it comes to reviewing the peer-reviewed literature or believing what the American Heart Association tells me, you are dumb as a rock. I, I just can't, I keep coming back to that. You're not using the intelligence God may have granted you. Well, I don't think it's an issue of intelligence, Robert. I think it's an issue of um, irresponsibility. Um, I've had patients tell me that they've talked to their doctors about X, Y, and Z, dentists as well, you know, about so-and-so and this and that. And so the, the dentist or the doctor will say, well, there's no scientific evidence of it. So then the patient will come back to our office or go back to one of the biological dentists, and they'll come back with just a huge stack of data to show, you know, studies that have been published. And the doctors, they take it back to them. They don't want to look at it. They take it, they throw it right in the trash can. They say there's no scientific evidence. They're in denial. It's a denial yeah. issue. Denial issue. There you go. Folks, we got a lot more discussion on the scientific realm. Uh, a new claim being made about the Zika virus. Absolutely astonishing. In the meantime, where did the $1.1 billion go that was going to go to get us and save us all from the shrunken head syndrome that wasn't actually proven to be caused by that said Zika virus? Stick around. Advanced Medicine, Dr. Vitar, back after this. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right. Depending on when my mom tunes in tonight, I'm going to say it again. Happy birthday, mom. 84 years young. Dr. Batard, you know she went out partying with her friends tonight instead of being in listening or watching the Robert Scott Bell Show. What kind well, of mom does that's, that? That's really good. I'm proud of her. <laughs> All right, nobody's on my side on this. All right, Mom, happy birthday. We're just teasing. I'm glad happy you're birthday. out there having Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. She's going out, like I said, dancing all the time, 84. Now, I just talked last week to a woman who was having a urinary tract issue, and I uh, called her back, and she was 94. And other than that, she wow. said, I'm not on any drugs. I'm just looking for ways to deal with this. And, and then she says, you want to know the secret to my being so young at 94? I said, yeah, I do. What, what is it? She said, I married a younger man. <laughs> That's what wow. she said. I said, how old is he? Well, he's 91. 
<laughs> and, we, and you know what we do? We go out dancing all the time. They do the West Coast swing like my mom does. So apparently, key to longevity is the West Coast swing. Special kind of dance That's for great. old people that aren't old. So there you go. And also avoiding flu shots. Let me add that into the mix. My mom doesn't do that. Um, now, where do we go from here? Another virus. The whole idea of the scam of viruses causing disease as opposed to maybe being the result of disease or dysfunction, imbalance, or deficiency. The Zika virus scam. We've covered it. We've done it to death. The fact that it hasn't been proven to cause microcephaly, the birth defect of small heads, yet, again, their claims are, oh, my, it definitely did, and we need a, you know, here's $2 billion, uh, find us a vaccine at the NIH. Of course, that kind of went by the wayside. Who knows where that $1.9 billion went? That's what Dr. David Brownstein is asking in his article. He points out that that uh, epidemic of microcephaly occurred in northeastern Brazil, only there, but it was never shown to be caused by the Zika virus. Zika is all over Brazil, but it only happened up there in northeast Brazil, this so-called microcephaly. Colombia, right next to Brazil, plenty of Zika, plenty of Zika, no microcephaly, right? And this is, you know, the nonsense that they're spouting. But then there's another article here, this is amazing, about the Zika virus talking about an increase in birth defects linked to Zika. And their conclusion here is non-statistically significant, but it's potential. And I look at these things. Dr. Batar, you tell me, if you find a non-statistically significant increase in something, do you then automatically assume that there is a something there and that it's caused by something that potentially could be the cause, but we don't even know, and then make a headline saying it is? Yeah, um... <laughs> It's one of those things like, what did you say? I know. It's yeah. exactly what they're saying. That it just, how many times can we defy logic on this show by bringing up things that people have said that just don't make any sense? But it's in the medical literature. The, the U.S. CDC yeah. Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, analyzing the, the data for birth defects, and they found a non-statistically significant increase in total birth defects and then they say that was potentially related to Zika. So a non-statistically significant increase potentially is related to Zika. I mean, how not, how not definitive is that? Except to say what you're trying to make happen, you can get twisted into all the Zika pretzels you want. It ain't happening. You're exactly right, Robert. So I think that this is where this, um, this, is where this propaganda, misinformation, misdirection, um, all these different things go. And, you know, the... The interesting thing is that it's not any different than what they did with the H1N1, with the swine flu, with the bird flu, with the this flu, with the that flu, with everything else. It's, it's, it's basically the same type of misinformation and misdirection pattern that they, that they create, almost like that's this, uh, you know, their uh, modus operandi type thing. Mm -hmm. I, I just find it more and more ridiculous, and it's hard for me to take seriously. This is the problem. I think they've got a PR problem now, and... You know, we talked about a headline Super Don didn't like from our buddies at Natural News about the vaccine industry in a panic over blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, you have to really stretch the definition of panic because we are in still such a small super minority. They have such a, a large super majority in terms of people who still succumb to the fear and go out and get a flu shot that it's not really hitting them economically significantly, but they do see the writing on the wall, which is why they're trying to vaccine mandate. They want to make it so they don't have to panic. Okay, we'll lock them in. They have to have them, and then we've got them. So then we don't have to worry. We can rest easy. But the reality is every time they come out with these absurd pronouncements, even if they're couched or coined medical phraseology terms, it is becoming more and more obvious to more people how ludicrous the statements even are. 
Yeah, it is. And I think that um, that book by, uh, I wish I could remember the name of the author, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? Do you remember reading that, Robert? A while back, it's, yes. Yeah, so basically he talks about how sometimes um, it's it's easier to convince a, a public um, that something, it, it's, it's like Hitler's technique of how he used um, misinformation, and people would simply not believe that you know, when the government's saying something that, that if it wasn't true, they wouldn't say it. It's kind of like when people say, well, oh, well, if uh, vaccines were bad, they wouldn't be talking about it. Or if mercury was really, oh, mercury's already out of vaccines. That's a, that's a common one right now. But people, when you ask people about, do you know that mercury is still inside vaccines? And they say, oh, that was years ago. They don't put mercury inside vaccines anymore. It's that misinformation. It's almost like, um, brainwashing uh, a group, and, and it's harder to convince a group of the truth than to convince them uh, that the misinformation that is being propagated as the truth is. In other words, people think that the misinformation is being propagated, the way it's being propagated, it, it, it's impossible for it to be a lie. It, it has to be the truth just because of the source it's coming from. And no. it can be as absurd and as ridiculous and defies <clears throat> all the logic on the planet it still is accepted as the truth because they're con- they're controlling the narrative. Yeah. So, Super Don, let me bring you into the mix here because I'd ask you, how many little children have to say the emperor wears no clothes before the vaccine industry actually goes into a panic? What is that magic number? Please help me out here to figure out when it's okay to use the headline. Ten. Ten, ten children ten. have to say that the, the emperor wears no, vaccine emperor wears no clothes. Okay, well, we're going to look out for that, and then we can officially use the word panic. It will be endorsed by Super Don. Again, the idea here is they don't want to have to move into panic mode. So I believe and perceive, Dr. Batar, that the move for vaccine mandates is in a response to what they see the future holds for them. That, yeah, some people are slipping out of their grip, Although it's not a majority of people, the, the information is slipping through their so-called censors on the Internet through many means, including social media. So they see the writing on the wall that eventually it could be a panic for them. So the idea and the, uh, really the only thing they know to do, because they can't win on the, ber- the merits of the argument, they have to use the heavy-handed force and power of government and the lies, the bigger the better, of the mainstream media. When the CDC doubles down on the swine flu pandemic that wasn't and says 50 million people have it, and when really nobody had it. That's how much they're willing to lie, how big a lie, like you said, based on uh, Goebbels and, and others that, that have really set the stage for propaganda in the 20th century and now following on in the 21st. Yeah, so this is, this is probably the, um, the this, this tactic or this technique could probably be traced back hundreds of years of how the masses were controlled. I'm trying to look up what the, what, what the name of the author was. Okay. Well, you, well, let me do that real quick, because I think this is important to bring up, because this, again, talks about when you read this book, it's a very short read. You read about it, and as you're reading it, you think it's something talking about our current political situation, but it's not. It's actually talking about um, 70 years ago, uh, 40, 50, yeah, 55, 60 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's, it's shockingly simple as far as how to do that, how to how yeah. to kill so many people and make it official. Now, last hour, I referenced the the comparison between injuries and, and, and deaths due to gunshots in children. 
And I think injuries were upwards of like 5,000 a year. And right. when we looked at the issue of injuries and deaths due to vaccination, they said it, it's underreported. Some people say it's only 10% are reported. Some have said it's only 1% reported. But it turns out there could be like over 5 million injuries to children from vaccines. I'm not including the deaths. Deaths are in there. But it's so uh, you know out of whack in terms of the media calls for let's disarm all Americans because a child dies from a gunshot, which is a tragedy for any child to die of a gunshot or anything. And yet 5 million injuries? How many hundreds of thousands of severe injuries and how many of those are actually deaths due to being shot, not by a bullet, but by a syringe delivered by a doctor or a nurse who is in denial, who won't read the science, or if they do read the science, they are in denial about the lack of safety studies, lack of true efficacy studies, and the fact that injecting toxic poisons is different than ingesting them. Yeah, this comes back to um, the lack of integrity in the medical profession and the lack of authenticity when it comes to you know people, uh, the, the doctors that are, Pointed to safeguard our health and our children's health. Um, if they were authentic and they were really looking at the truth, looking at all the information before they introduce stuff into our bodies, as opposed to uh, just following whatever the dogma is and following it, as you call it, religiosity. Uh, mm-hmm. If they didn't follow the religi- religiosity of the powers that be of the Institute of Medicine, of the Centers for Disease Control, and they were actually taking a responsible stance and looking at the information and the evidence themselves before making a judgment. But they don't. They don't do that because then they would be considered heretics and they would be um, ostracized from the Church mm-hmm. of Medicine. Yeah. And I'm almost starting to sound like you, Robert, in a little bit. But I think that <laughs> it's about this, time. <laughs> yeah. But this is really what it comes down to, because if they were being authentic, and they Mm -hmm. did act with integrity, then they would, by definition, act with the fiduciary relationship, which is their obligation, first and foremost, for their patients before making any type of decision. The fiduciary relationship, um, um, the fiduciary and ethical responsibility of a physician is to that of his patients and to the Mm -hmm. um, people that are coming to uh, putting their lives in the hands of that physician. And so you can't take what somebody else is telling you, and then recite that and regurgitate it for the benefit of that patient, as opposed to doing what you're really supposed to be doing, which is processing that information, filtering that information, understanding that information with the greater education that we've supposedly got in medical school, and then come up with our own deductions and say, yes, this makes sense, or no, this doesn't make sense. Too many times doctors are afraid of saying, no, this doesn't make any sense, and then going ahead and um, propagating the, the propaganda that the Institute of Medicine, the Centers for Disease Control, and all the other uh, wow. medical hierarchies want you to put out there. And it's it's a shame. And people, I think, this is one reason more and more people are not trusting their doctors for that very reason. Yeah. People that are in the doctoring profession in many ways have not left the playground. The bullying, the peer pressure, they're still playing it out and sub- subjugated to it, and they're afraid to lift their heads up above it and go, you know what, y'all ain't wearing no clothes, and you're butt ugly, and I'm calling you out. We're going to do more advanced medicine coming up after this break. Those of you who want the archives, hundreds and hundreds of hours now with Dr. Bittar here, go to medicalrewind.com. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day.
Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, we rail on things that uh, we may not agree with, and, and we might have good reason for not agreeing with, like you know, interventions of the allopathic variety in most cases. Uh, you know, not, uh, we're not arguing against in- emergency rooms, trauma intervention. That's never been our argument. But to hear that things are changing, Dr. Batar, is, is heartening in a good way. Good hearts, healthy hearts, happy hearts. It's enlightening that things are changing. And I don't want to focus all on the negative, and we don't tend to do that, but we point these things out. Here's an interesting article, and this is uh, a UPI has put this out, and it's talking about a new trial to study a new treatment for polycystic kidney disease. Dr. Batar, pray tell, what could this new treatment be, and might we actually be in favor of it? Well, I would venture to say that it could, logic would dictate that if we are in favor for of it, and it's something to do with the kidneys, then it's probably something to do with hydration. Well, yeah, you got that right. This is the most amazing headline, Super Don, you found in a while, of many amazing headlines. Trial to study, guess what? Water, H2O, as a treatment for polycystic kidney disease. Say it so. Water, really, for the kidneys? How could this be, Dr. Batar? Well, you know, it follows logic that if you're dealing with something to do with the kidneys, uh, one good thing to think of the kidneys as a pump. And um, why not? Well, what's one of the problems with any kind of pump? Well, if it runs dry, you're going to have a problem. So pump more fluid through it so it doesn't burn up. And we are all, as a society on this planet, chronically dehydrated. Yeah. And so it would make sense with polycystic renal disease to um, increase hydration. So, and, you know, the funny thing is that that solution could be applicable to many disease processes. That's one reason it's one of the steps in the, the nine steps to get the doctor away. Exactly. And why Dr. Batman Gelligen, your body's many cries for waters, talked about it. I interviewed him, and you can see the interview that I did from 2002 before he passed away, I think, the next year. Go to robertswater.com, and you can see it on YouTube. Have you ever had this happen, though, Dr. Batar, where you said, listen, you really need to drink more water? I'm serious. You need here. Here's your prescription. How much do you weigh? Take half of an ounce. Drink that. That's a basic concept, right? And they like come back to you and they said, Dr. Batar, I tried what you said and I'm like, I can't keep doing it. And you're like, oh, why? Well, because I keep having to get up and pee. They're like, well, that's the point. Has anybody ever complained about that? I drink too much water and I have to pee all the time. Um, Yeah, sometimes when people have, um, um, when it disturbs their sleep and they have to get up in the middle of the night because their sleep, is disrupted. I have had people sometimes complain about that, but you know, the thing is that that's an easy fix. You just don't drink after a certain time. When you get up first thing in the morning, you should start drinking a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And I have found myself that the challenge that I put out to patients and the challenge that I put out to the general public, in fact, in the book, the challenge is do this for 30 days. Drink one half to two thirds of your body weight in ounces of water a day. So basically, if you weigh 180 pounds, then you would drink between 90 and 120 ounces of water. 128 ounces is a gallon. So basically you'd drink between 90 um, ounces and 120 ounces, almost a gallon of water a day. Do it for 30 days and then stop. And you will find that after you do it for 30 days, as long as you do it consistently for 30 days, you will not be able to stop. And Mm -hmm. as far as the issue with drinking too much water because you have to pee too much, well, you know what? Um, It's, usually a problem that only lasts for the first month or two, and then the body seems to re-regulate. But yes, you can also yes. change your 
um, your behavior by just drinking most of that water in the morning, in the afternoon, and by early evening. You don't have to drink as much, although you will find that your desire to drink in the evenings will still be there. Yeah, and it's funny that, you know, the complaints I was referring to wasn't even the, that I had to get up at night to do it. It's like during the day, they didn't want to be bothered to have to stop to urinate. And I'm thinking, mm. man, your priorities are way out of whack. And we need to really yep. have a discussion about this. Or I can send you to an allopathic doctor will be happy to drug you for your kidneys and make it worse. Uh, by the way, they said that in this research, the, the water, actually, they found it stopping a hormone that makes cysts grow. So there's, you know, dehydration obviously Im- impacts endocrine function. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know which uh, hormone they're talking about. Is it aldosterone by any chance? Or uh, I'm not sure if they mentioned it in this article here. We'll have to come back and revisit it. But we're out of time okay. almost anyway. So any any uh, last requests for, for Dr. Batar or for you to the audience to drink more water, of course? How about go get the nine steps to keep the doctor away? <laughs> it's over my left shoulder. You can see it. I'm pointing to it now. Right there. Go get it. The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, international bestseller by Dr. Rasha Bittar, advancedmedicine.com, of course, medicalrewind.com, and, of course, all of the other places you can listen to the show online after the fact at GCN, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio, SoundCloud, and now on YouTube. Replay it at any time of the day or night. Dr. Bittar, tell them what they need to know, because we got to go. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. Drink it up, my friends. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.